0: Hey guys, Pastor Mike Reed here. Thankful that God led you to tune into this video sermon. Uh, Our prayer is very simple. We pray that God would use the preaching of God's Word uh, to grow you more in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, We pray it blesses you, nourishes you, and encourages you. Okay, good morning, Merry Christmas to everyone. Good to see you. Uh, Before we get started, If you're new with us, or this is your first time coming to this church, or even if you're uh, not a Christian, just want to say welcome to Church of Bergen. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, Always want to make it really clear why we're here to to worship Jesus, and we are in our Advent series uh, to remember the significance of the coming of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Uh, And we worship Jesus a number of ways. It's not just one uh, single way in which you can worship. There is a number of ways in which we do that. The first is that we sing songs that center upon who Jesus is and and what he's done. And we also preach through books of the Bible. Uh, We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9 this morning in our series called Herald. I'll talk a little bit about that in just a moment. And we also take the Lord's Supper every single week uh, because it is a gift from Jesus Christ to his church by which our souls and our faith is nourished by remembering a very, in a very uh, an experiential way uh, through the crackers and the juice uh, what Jesus Christ did for us in his death and resurrection. And we also uh, worship through giving. Uh, God gave us Jesus Christ, the greatest gift to the world. And so because God was so infinitely generous to us, uh, it is a very small, it is no... Um, big task, uh, you might say, no burden for us to be generous as well in an act of worship. And we give in the, the silver box in the back wall by the exits. And um, just as Pastor Mike always says, if you are new with us, we are not asking for, our money, for, for your money. Uh, we just want you to know Jesus and enjoy him. Uh, before I pray, just a couple announcements. Uh, our New Year's Eve services, two services, 4 o'clock and uh, 5.45 uh, on Christmas Eve. I know some churches do some different times and different days. For the Christmas Eve services. Ours will actually be on Christmas Eve the 24th. Uh, the only uh, service that will have kids programming is the 4 p.m., so 545. Uh, no no kids, no kids program, programming at all. Uh, gra- grab one of these on your way out. Uh, I know it looks, look, looks like there's two, two different cards. They are the same card. Uh, Julia, our creative director, is just really good at this type of stuff. So anyone it says the same information, grab one of these or two of these on, there, on your way out, and it's just a way to, to outreach and to your friends, family, neighbors, and Invite them to, to church to hear about Jesus. I uh, hope you guys have also been enjoying the the, uh, the the study guide that we've made to help you kind of meditate along with this series as we've gone through. Uh, it's got a little portion in there each week, also for young families to to, to walk your kids through the story of Jesus. Uh, also, last thing is. Uh, In our off-seasons, so we typically have uh, small groups, Uh, we call them growth groups, place for friends, help friends, follow Jesus. We have them in the fall and the spring semesters, Uh, but in the winter and the summers, we kind of take a pause, give the leaders a break, uh, give people on and off-ramps. We we offer what are called equip classes, that's just a way for us uh, who are teachers can equip the saints for the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4 says, Uh, so we're going to be offering two uh, classes, one on Tuesday night, both of them are six week classes, one on Tuesday night through the book of Revelation. The reason we're doing Revelation is because it's a pretty complex book. People have lots of questions about it, and uh, we love just helping people know how to study their Bibles. And the one on Wednesday night <clears throat> is going to be a personal evangelism class, and the reason why we're doing that is because we've been in First Peter, and it's all about elect exiles and, and proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so we're asking and, and encouraging one another to go and share the gospel. So I want to give you practical ways uh, in this class to know how to talk to people about Jesus in your specific sphere of influence. You can register for them online. Just go to the website. You can register. And we look forward to seeing you guys there. Well, let's get to the really good stuff. We're going to hear the the word of God preached. I get the privilege of preaching to you guys today, uh, but let me just ask the Lord's help uh, as we dive in. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that that, uh, heaven has come. You have not abandoned us. You have broken through the darkness. Light has dawned. In Jesus Christ, thank you that Jesus is our wonderful counselor, and today we thank you especially that he is our mighty God, that he is the one place upon which our souls can rely, can find confidence and trust and security and rest, and that he is mighty to save. He is the one who gets all glory in the victory over our sins. Would you help us, Holy Spirit, to, to enjoy that today? We love you, Jesus. Ask for your help now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> if you want to turn in the Bible it's to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. So typically we go through uh, books of the Bible, and um, we've been walking through 1 Peter in the fall. and. Uh, We're going to finish, we're going to be picking it back up in January, but every December we like to take just a moment to pause uh, and simply uh, take a moment to celebrate Advent. The word Advent just means coming. It's all about the coming of Jesus Christ when he came to this earth to die for sin and to resurrect from the dead. And uh, it's just a structured time for the church to kind of just reflect upon the true meaning of Christmas rather than get caught up in all the craziness. And we try to take a, um, pick a particular theme every single year. Sorry, I'm trying to get my, my remote working here to control the slides. Um, a theme every single year. And this year, our theme is Herald. Herald just means preach, proclaim. And anytime Pastor Mike or myself or Pastor Peter and are up here, and we are heralding the glories of Christ. We are heralding the gospel. We're proclaiming Jesus. We are not merely teaching. It is a lot of teaching. You're explaining what's in the text, but heralding is from a heart of worship, of a heart of enjoyment. You're not just learning and understanding what I'm saying. Your heart, by God's grace, is being enticed into what is being talked about. It is worship. And a prophet named Isaiah, many years ago in chapter 9, he prophesied and he heralded and proclaimed the coming of Jesus Christ, the coming of the Messiah. And he talked about different names that should be applied to the Messiah, to the Christ. And Pastor Mike walked us to the glories of what it means that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. So Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, this is the theme verse for our Advent series, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So we learned last week that Wonderful Counselor, for Jesus to be a Wonderful Counselor, means that when he came, God gave us the very person who would accomplish a task which would unleash the Spirit of God to dwell in us and with us. So the Holy Spirit guides us, he counsels us, he leads us into the wisdom of God. But today, we are learning about what does it mean that Jesus is your mighty God? It doesn't just say God. Jesus is God. It says that he is mighty God. What does that mean? What is the significance For us, especially today, that Jesus is our mighty God. And there are two ways in which you can find out what a biblical author means by a specific term. One is to simply look at the immediate context, which we will do in just a minute. The other, which we'll do later in the sermon, is you look for other places in the book where that same term is used. And you look at the context there and see if it can unlock the deeper meaning behind what is being said. Because we don't want to understand, we don't want to know, what do we think this means? We want to know, what does Isaiah mean? Or more fundamentally, what does God mean? Because when these biblical authors wrote, a a Christian, one of the things, an essential characteristic of a Christian, is that they believe this thing right here, this book is the word of God from beginning to end. Even though it was a flawed human, God is all-powerful. He can use a flawed human to write a flawless book. So when Isaiah wrote this, God was behind it intending us to understand something. That's what we're after. Who cares what I think? I want to know, we want to know, what does God think about mighty God? So let's look at the context. You're going to go pick your eyes up all the way to, up to verse and in reality, uh, in the heat, in the original language, verse 2 is actually verse 1 in chapter 9. So this is kind of the beginning part here. It says The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. The context of this passage is that Israel had wandered off into rebellion against God. And what God does to his people, he loves them so much that he does not let them wander completely off. He sends discipline in their lives by which they will see the futility of what they're chasing, turn and come back to him. So what God has done typically in the Old Testament, he will take a foreign nation and he will send them, he will sick them upon the nation of Israel. And here, what we have is the Assyrians were being used by God in his secret, mysterious counsel. I don't, we don't really know exactly how he accomplished this. It wasn't like the Assyrians were worshiping the true God. God, in some ways, behind the scenes, was using them to dis- discipline Israel. And they had been, the Israelites were experiencing a sense of darkness, a sense of despair, doubts: Is God really with us? But the good news here is the Second phrase and the fourth phrase, they have seen a great light on them has light. So God breaks through the darkness, the temporary shadow that had been cast over them by the Assyrians, God breaks through it. How? By giving them an explosive joy. Verse three, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you. As with the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So God, as it were, breaks through the darkness of despair and he releases this volcanic eruption of happiness in their hearts. There are many joys in this life, but no joy is as sweet as the kind that overcomes despair overcomes a season of darkness because it's, it's redemption. It goes deep, fills up the deficit in your life, and overflows in abundance. And there's redemption there. And that's what God is, is doing here. But how does he, what is it? What is the cause of this explosive joy, right? So this, this darkness was kind of like a, a pressure cooker on their heads, right? And God, as it were, takes the lid off and they explode with joy. What, what is the cause of this? Verse four, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, that is those who were oppressing the Israelites, you, that is God, last phrase, you, God, have broken as on the day of Midian. So they were under oppression. They were under affliction. They had this yoke, this burden, and God comes in, grabs a staff, out of the hands of the Assyrians, breaks it over his knee, lifts the burden of affliction off, lifts the yoke of oppression off of them, and they are free. Now, Isaiah uses this really uh, interesting phrase at the end of verse four. He compares what God is going to do with the Assyrians and the Israelites here to something that happened earlier in the history of Israel. He says, "You have broken this rod of oppression." yoke of affliction. As on the day of Midian, mark my words, that phrase right there is one of, if not the most important phrase in this entire sermon. And we will come back to it in just a moment. So God takes this oppression off. He takes this affliction off. As on the day of Midian, how does he do this? How does he, what does he do that makes them feel like they have been released from oppression? Verse 5 For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. Every boot of the tramping warrior and every garment rolled in blood. God, as it were, how does he lift the affliction off? He takes away, as it were, all of the battle equipment that was used by the Assyrians. He takes away all the warfare attire. He gathers it into a massive pile, douses it in the gasoline of his grace, and he torches it in the fire of his love as fuel for the fire. It says. And the Assyrians are celebrating with explosive joy because they are merely the passive recipients of this. They have done nothing to deserve it. In fact, they deserve the oppression they're receiving, and God releases them. And that is essentially, if any one of you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, fundamentally what it means to be saved is you are a totally passive recipient of the love of Jesus you have done nothing to receive it you just receive anyone and everyone can gather around a fire and receive warmth now what is it how does God do this who, who does God send to accomplish this and that brings us to our theme verse for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's the promise of Jesus who would do this. Jesus is the one who will ultimately lift the oppression, lift the burden of humanity, lift the sin that is cast over us like a dark shadow. He will gather it all into the fire, and he will take it into himself on his cross. And those who trust in him, it will be taken off of their shoulders. The burden of condemnation for sin will be taken from their shoulders and they will be released into an explosive joy of celebration for what Jesus has done. And each of these names, these four names here, represent an aspect of Jesus by which he serves us in this great liberation for us. So again, what does it mean that Jesus is our mighty God? we just looked at the context, right? We just looked at the context here. Now we have to see, is there another place in the book of Isaiah where this phrase, mighty God, is used? And there is one other place in the entire book where it is used, is in chapter 10. So the good news is, if you have your Bibles open, you just got to flip over one more chapter. So we're going to go to chapter 10. Verse 20. In that day, this is the same context. In fact, if you go back earlier in chapter 10, you will see that God talks about the Assyrians, how he promises to humble them in their pride. And God is talking about, right? So they've they've wandered, Israel's wandered off into rebellion. He disciplines them with Assyria. Now God is going to talk about here, through the mouth of Isaiah, what he's going to do in the future. In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though your people Israel be as a sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed overflowing with righteousness. God's destruction, God's discipline is never permanent. He never utterly destroys us. It always results in something better, overflowing with righteousness, it says. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end as decreed in the midst of all the earth. But I just want you to note at the end of verse 21. Mighty God. There it is. And there's in this little passage here, there are clues that are going to unlock for us what it means that Jesus is our mighty God. It says right in the first verse In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them. That is the Assyrians. So they had been tempted away from the Lord and they had looked elsewhere for rest. They have looked elsewhere for security. Rather than finding God as a true rest, God as a true security, they were allured into something else other than their God. And what God promises to do is to do a work in them that will woo them away from leaning upon something else other than him and they will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. So what it means for Jesus to be your mighty God, the first thing it means is that Jesus is your sole reliance. On Christmas Day, when he gave his son as our mighty God, it, he became the one, the only place upon which anyone's soul could find true rest and true security and true relief. Why do we lean on things? We lean on things to find rest, relief, and security. When you're tired, you sit down. When you're anxious, you lean on someone or something to relieve the anxiety. When you're insecure, you run to something to make you feel secure. And what Christmas is all about, one of the beautiful things about Christmas is God gave us the one thing, as St. Augustine used to say, our souls are restless until they find rest in thee. Like you will constantly be restless unless you take your soul and you place it upon Jesus. He is your soul reliance. Christmas is great. It's the most wonderful time. I love that song. You ever love that song? I just, I just, I just get really weird when I hear that song. It's, it's the best time of the year. I like it. Some people hate it. Some people are Grinches. Any Grinches out there? A couple Grinches. I yeah, kind of like this. Uh, a couple Grinches out there. Uh, I'm not a Grinch. I enjoy Christmas. But it's also, it's not just the, the most wonderful time of the year. It's also the most insane time of the year. Amen. I mean, it is exhausting. It is insanity. I was, I was just, my wife and I were looking at our calendars the other day. We were like, what happened to our calendar? It's like, it's like someone took ink and just spread it all over with stuff to do every single night. But when you get tired, when things are really stressful, families coming over, finances are being stretched, Right? Those credit card bills are starting to to pile up. Tensions are rising. you got lots of stuff to do and hosting and decorations, whatever. You get tired. You get anxious and stressed. And you feel like things are out of control. So my question is, if Jesus is your mighty God and he's supposed to be the one, if just the Israelites... Had been leaning upon someone other than the Lord. So, my question is when you get tired, like really tired, where are you tempted to run to, to lean on other than Jesus for rest? When you are stressed and anxious, where are you tempted to run to, to lean on other than Jesus? to find relief. When your life feels a little bit out of control, like you don't have your type A scratches being itched all the time during the seasons, where are you tempted to go, to run to, to do, to regain that feeling of security other than Jesus? And the reality is, whatever you run to, if, God, if you are one of God's children, he will see to it that that thing will betray you. Will no more lean on him who struck them. They were going to Assyria, and Assyria eventually betrayed them. So if you have been wandering down a path, and you've been leaning on something that you ought not to lean on, and you find yourself in a bit of a debacle, that is not God hating you. That's God loving you. If he did not love you, he would have just said, bye-bye, let you wander off. you got to come back to the Lord. So Jesus is your sole reliance. And I can imagine some people putting forth an objection. Something like well, I don't, wanna, I don't want to um, overwhelm Jesus with all my burdens. That is the whole point of what it means for him to be mighty God. The whole point of him to be mighty God is that his shoulders are infinitely strong. His hands and his arms are infinitely durable. They never get tired no matter how many things or what level, not even the quantity or the quality of what you cast towards him, he can handle it. Cast, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties upon him. I said this in the first of us. I love how it just says casting all your anxieties. It doesn't, because you're like, where Jesus, where do I place it? He's like, just throw it in my direction and I'll catch it. Just, just throw it. He's got great hand-eye coordination. Whatever you, whatever you throw at Jesus, just throw it in his direction. Just don't even look. No look pass. right? Just write to Jesus and he can handle it. He can catch it. Casting all your anxieties upon him because it says he cares for you. And what I love, it does not say he cares about you. He says he cares for you. Caring about someone is you're distant, you kind of have this feeling of care, but you're not really doing anything to help. Caring for someone is actually stepping into their mess and assuming responsibility. That's Jesus. He is your sole reliance. So, what are you carrying right now that you ought not to be carrying? That if you continue carrying it, you actually do a dishonor to Jesus. The way to glorify Jesus when you are overwhelmed with something is to cast it upon him. Because he is your sole reliance. Because when you cast anything and everything towards him that you are not meant to carry, and he catches it, he gets the glory. And that's how things work best. When he gets the glory and we get the joy in seeing him do that, that's when we are working right as our human nature was designed to do. But there's more. For Jesus to be your mighty God is not just for him to be your sole reliance. There is more. Let's keep going in Isaiah chapter 10, picking it up in verse 24. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, that's another fancy phrase for the city of David, Jerusalem, be not afraid of the Assyrians when they strike with the rod and lift up their staff against you as the Egyptians did. So now he's going all the way back to Exodus. Exodus. For in a very little while, my fury will come to an end. It's always temporary. And my anger will be directed to their destruction. So we wander off in rebellion. God loves us enough to send something our way that would discipline us. Back in the Old Testament, it was a foreign nation that would come and discipline them, but the way that God demonstrates his unfailing faithfulness to them is eventually he will turn the destruction upon their enemies' heads. Utter destruction. And then Israel, a remnant, will be released. We'll be directed to their destruction. Verse 26 And the Lord of hosts will wield against them, the Assyrians, a whip as when he struck, check it out, Midian at the rock of Oreb. Sound familiar? Back in verse 4 of chapter 9, when he struck Midian at the rock of Oreb and his staff will be over the sea as he will lift it as he did in Egypt. And in that day, his burden will depart from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck. I told you that phrase is really important. Chapter nine, verse four, as on the day of Midian, chapter 10, verse 26, as when he struck Midian at the rock of Oreb. So there's something about this phrase that unlocks for us the significance, another significance for what it means that Jesus is our mighty God. So what is this? What is Midian all about? This is referring to back in the period of the judges, before Israel had a king. Before they had a king, they were kind of by themselves. God was their king, but there was this gross cycle in the period of the judges whenever they would wander off in rebellion and God to discipline them. Sound familiar to Isaiah here? He would discipline them by having a foreign nation Come and bring oppression upon them. Temporarily, this would cause Israel to cry out for help to the Lord, and then he would raise up an unlikely hero named a judge to deliver them from their oppressors. One of their most famous enemies in the book of Judges were the Midianites. And they had wandered off in rebellion. Back in Judges chapter 6, it'll be up on the screen here, Judges chapter 6, verse 2. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. Verse 6. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. And in response, God chooses one of the most unlikely people, and his name was Gideon. He raises up Gideon, and he comes to Gideon, and he calls Gideon to be this judge, to be the one who would lead Israel to deliver them from the oppression of the Midianites. And Midian, knowing his own frailty, says this in chapter 7, or chapter 6, verse 15. Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manassas, and I am the least in my father's house. He's like, you got the wrong guy. Not only am I from the wimpiest clan, but within that clan, in my family, I'm the limpiest in my family. You've got the wrong guy, Lord. And I love God's response to you. It's always his response to our ridiculous excuses. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. That's, that'll stop any argument. And this is so typical of all of us. Anytime God calls us to do something that seems impossible, we come with all these excuses and he stops it with one promise, but I'm with you. That should be enough. That's all you need to hear. So it, Gideon's like, Okay, I'll shut my mouth. So what he does is he gets, he gathers around him about 30,000 warriors. Again, very typical. God gives us something to do. So we kind of go overboard and we kind of get something really massive to make sure that we're gonna succeed. And he brings us 30,000 to the Lord and he says, okay, Lord, we're ready. And God says something to him that is so peculiar in chapter seven, verse two. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. God's like you got too many. If I let you go like this and you guys win, even though I do it all, you're going to find some little grounds upon which to say, we did some of it. God wants to set things up with Gideon so that it is impossible for them to even put their confidence in one microscopic grain of sand, a basis. They have no place to stand so that when the victory has come, it is impossible for them to claim anything. The only thing they can say is the Lord alone is our victor. In fact, Gideon doesn't even do anything. He goes on to win the battle, but what Gideon does, he just gets these 300 guys, and he encircles the Midianites. They light some torches, smash some jars, yell really loud. God causes the Midianites to basically stab each other, and they run off, and they chase him down. And they capture the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. There it is. So, what it means that Jesus is your mighty God is that He is your lone Victor. He alone is the victorious one. Just as these many nights came, and God used Israel—excuse me, used Gideon—to lead them into to deliverance over them, He did it in such a way to where God alone receives all the credit, all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. So on Christmas morning, when when God gave us Jesus, he gave us our only victory. The whole human race was in the oppression of sin, was in the grip of Satan, was underneath the eternal condemnation of hell. And when he gave us Jesus, he gave us our lone victor. And when Jesus came, right before Jesus came, God sends an angel to Joseph and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Of all the names, you could have given him any name. It could have been Bob, it could have been Sam, it could have been Tom. He chose Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus means. It means God saves So the reason why he was given that name is because his name would match his mission. The reason he's given the name Jesus is because Jesus actually saves from sin. It is the only means by which anyone can be saved, and he does it in such a way that we will have no basis upon which to stand. In fact, Jesus will get all the glory and the credit. And this is a very, very, very good news for us. Because you and I are so tempted always to steal credit, to get cheap glory, and to get empty praise. And we believe the lie that the way to find happiness in this life is by getting glory for ourselves. What Christmas teaches us is that true happiness is not found in getting glory for ourselves, but giving glory to Jesus alone. You want to know what we do? We sin. You want to know what Jesus does? He saves. You want to know what Christianity is all about? We sin, God saves. You want to know what the gospel's all about? We sin, God saves. You want to know what Christmas is all about? We sin massively, and Jesus saves mightily. The, S, the story of the Bible, we sin, God saves. That's it, case closed. The only thing we contribute is the very thing that required Jesus to come and save us. So what are you, what do you feel trapped by? What do you feel enslaved by? Cry out to Jesus and he alone will be the victory. What do you feel chained to? Jesus as your mighty God means he's the lone victory. He will come and break those chains. What do you, what is, what dark shadow has been cast over your life? Cry out to Jesus. He's the lone victor. He will break through that darkness. He will pull you gently into the light of his love. I was thinking about how do I wrap up this, this sermon? And for whatever reason, I was imagining. Um, the moment when Mary gave birth, to Jesus, and it, was, it had to have been a couple hours later when she could actually talk and be fully functioning. Because you gotta get this picture: she, she gave birth, and like thirty seconds later, she was fine. Uh, that's not how it works at all. It's, it takes a long time to recover. And uh, so, just a couple hours later, Ma- Mary's holding Jesus, and she's looking at Joseph with tears in her eyes, and she's like, "I've got salvation in my hands. The salvation of humanity." is in my hands the sole reliance of the human race is in this child in my hands is the one person upon which the any soul will ever find rest relief and security again people will be able to find true joy true rest because of what i'm holding in my hands jesus this this child that i'm holding in my hands is a lone victor of the human race. The only reason any single human being will ever be saved, will ever experience victory, not only in this life, but more so in the next life is because of who I'm holding in my hands. And then she says to him, because of this child, everything's gonna be okay. And if I could, if I could summarize this message into one phrase that I hope just kind of goes on repeat throughout this month, is that because Jesus is your lone victor, it means that everything's gonna be okay. Everything's gonna be okay. Everything's gonna be okay. okay. So, every single one of us has got like a thing, And you're like, because of this thing, everything is not okay. Things are not all right. And so I'd ask you, what what is that thing that is making you believe that everything is not okay? And I want you to imagine that Jesus kneels down beside you, and he holds his arms out, and he says, I am your mighty God. Give it to me, and everything will be okay. So right now, like right now, in this moment, do it. Hand it over to Jesus right now. You are wasting useless time, useless energy, taking, away, taking it away from Jesus and busying yourself and worrying yourself with it. If Jesus is your mighty God, he can handle anything and everything, and it is time for you to hand it over it's very possible that some of you have been invited today and you're not even a Christian and you've never handed your sin over to Jesus and you are carrying around your sin and you are pretending. You don't need, you don't need religion. I'm good. I don't need Jesus. But if you are, actually have integrity, you know you're not okay. Okay. What keeps you up at night to everyone? What keeps you up at night? What makes you lose sleep? You go to bed at nine o'clock instead of falling asleep at nine ten, you fall asleep at nine forty five, ten fifteen, ten thirty. Your bedtime is nine, but you actually fall asleep at ten thirty. What's what's causing the hour and a half? Hand it over to Jesus. That's what it means that Jesus is mighty God. Whatever you give to him, it's going to be okay. Maybe not in this life, but assuredly in the next life. Let's pray. My Father, we thank you so much for the fact that Jesus is our mighty God, that he is strong and mighty enough to handle the whole world relying upon him. No matter if if every single one of us were to take all that we are carrying, all the burdens, all the, the affliction that we're carrying, and we were to throw it at Jesus at the same time, it would be, nothing to him. He is able and he desires to carry it for us. We thank you that Jesus is our lone victor. That there is nothing that we are going through that his grace that his presence cannot deliver us from. Forgive us for the ways that we try to fix it on our own. We try to become victorious ourselves, buy into the self-help lie that we can deliver ourselves trying to gain cheap glory. And we would surrender it to Jesus because he is our lone victor. He deserves all glory, honor, and praise. He can handle all the credit. Would you liberate our hearts to enjoy that this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we take, as we're about to take the Lord's...